This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hey there, I have a question for you. What's the deal with questions? I mean, what makes a good quiz question? Why are good questions important? How can I get better at writing them? And what pitfalls can we avoid to ensure that we serve our audience and the learning objectives better? That's the topic of today's show, as we dive deep into the world of good questioning techniques. Oh, and here's something exciting. We also read our very first email and have a great discussion about it. So get ready for some super awesome knowledge coming your way in three, two, one. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Cause if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Welcome back everyone to another amazing episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm your host Scott Chudy, and with us again, you love them. He's the man with the plan, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh, yeah. Dan. <laughs> what is this? Is this is this three weeks now? Three times in a row? Yeah, actually, now? I was going to say that you uh, you actually made three weeks in a row, and I was proud of you. Thanks. Wow. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, I know. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> three weeks in a row also. Uh, for our uh, co-host, uh, honorary nerd, you also love her, everybody. Uh, Abby Dawson is in the house. You know, I should have played the longer version of that because I just started dancing to your drop. Yeah, I was about to say it's a shame everybody who can only hear us missed all that. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. That, fine, we'll do the long one just because it, it's going to make you feel better. Will it make you feel better, Abby? I think it will. It's going to be okay. a strong start. Nice. You feel? Do you feel better now, Abby? <laughs> I do. I know I feel better because it's all about you tonight. <laughs> Actually, it's uh, it's not all about you, Abby, because you know what. Um, we have a birthday boy in the house. We do. We it's oh, Dan Coonrod's no. birthday. Absolutely. <laughs> you weren't gonna tell me. Happy birthday, Dan! I want to ask how many anniversaries of your twenty-first birthday this is this year, as I know it's a bunch. But I hope it you is. had a good it birthday. Is. I it was fantastic. Thank you, guys. Tell everybody, because all of our listeners really do want to know what you did for your birthday. I want you to go ahead and share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I turned off uh, most of my electronics and uh, <clears throat> I recently purchased a new vehicle. I hopped in the vehicle and I drove up the Natchez Trace Trail, which is like 400 miles of two-lane highway up and through the middle of the country. It's fantastic. It was an absolutely beautiful country. Stopped a dozen times easily. It was awesome. Took my family with me. Had a blast. That sounds glorious. Um, I'm super jelly. Hashtag jelly. Uh, <laughs> Dan, the man, Coonrod, in, in your fabulous drive. Um, and we would spend even more time talking about it, but we had a very, very special week, everybody, because right, we have our very first email... That's right. We've got an email from one of you, the listeners, and as promised, we would go ahead and read that email. Dan, birthday boy, could you go ahead and share 
that email and we will discuss the contents therein. Uh, let me jump right in here. Joe writes, first off, loving the show and the content. My question is something my wife runs into as she is in the educational system, as an educational diagnostician for elementary schools. In order for her to do her testing, the other teachers and psychologists have certain responsibilities that they have to fulfill in order to meet the requirements. I've heard on more than one occasion where these other people try to push off their responsibilities onto my wife. And sometimes she just finds it easier to deal with it and handle it than push back. I continue to tell her that the reason these people like them continue to do this is because they're relying on you not saying a two-letter word. No. I'm a direct person who would straight up tell that person to do their jobs, but I'm looking for your diplomatic advice for my wife. Thanks, Joe. All right. Awesome. Joe, uh, thank you for the email. We really appreciate it. Uh, let's go ahead and break it down just a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking about that two-letter word of no. I feel like we need a Wilhelm scream drop there as well. Just saying. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I, I'm a former people pleaser, and I used to think that finding a way to yes was a great thing because it helped build relationships and it helped build partnerships. And what I discovered is that when you consistently do that, um, I was unable to really get what I really wanted, which was respect from my peers. They just assumed that I'd figure it out no matter what, and we get it done. So no is a glorious word. And if you want to become a member of the C-suite, you need to learn how to say no, and you need to get really good at saying no and say it often. Because every time we say yes, it takes your time and energy away from the things that you should be focusing on um, and not these other side projects. Not to say that sometimes you'll get a request that, requ that requires a yes and yes is the right answer. But no is a glorious thing. And all I have to say is just it takes practice. That's what I found. Dan, what do you think? So I'm of two minds on this one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I think there is a push and a pull to corporate life where sometimes we find ourselves saying yes, both out of the ease of saying, like, I'll just take care of it. I don't want to have to deal with a committee or craziness. Yes, I'll do it. Check and we move on. <laughs> that being said, I've told others and I have to remind myself. We are judged by everything we do. If you tell somebody no, well, you're going to get judged for saying no. But that is a much better thing than being judged for saying yes and then not being able to deliver a quality product. If you're always saying yes and you're always like, I figured it out. I got it put together. But it's like, eh, that's not really great. Well, people are going to remember that's not really great. Way longer than they're going to remember the time you said, no, I'm sorry. That's just not in my wheelhouse. And I just don't think I would be able to turn in a quality product there. I've, I've always been super comfortable saying no. I was the bartender who always had to cut people off. I'm the heavy at home with my son. I just got a video from my husband. They do boys night when um, I record. And he sent me a video of my son asking to use his phone, don't worry, he won't tell mommy. Like, I'm, I'm no at home. That's, <laughs> that's my strong suit. But um, what I found so that I don't just destroy relationships, especially at work, is always making sure that I have a good reason. Just like you need a good reason to say yes, to Dan's point, you need a good reason to say yes to projects, you need a fair reason to say no. And you need to be able to articulate it. And if that reason, if the only thing you can come up with is I just don't want to, you got to be real honest with yourself too, and reevaluate. Um, and sometimes I don't want to a fair reason, but you got to figure out why that is. Like, is it a relationship issue with who you'd have to work with? Is it you don't have the skill base to accomplish it, and you don't want to embarrass yourself or create something that isn't worthwhile, or 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 what's driving it? But uh, yeah, 
making sure you always have a reason has, has been something I've I've always tried to be fair with. I love the hey, let's figure out the the whys why this is a, a a bad idea and then maybe we can find out um a way to to solve your opportunity with without taxing me into things that i need to get done or my team needs to get done or the needs of the business yep and sometimes you can say no and it still happens and you've got to learn to be okay with that too <laughs> so that comes with relationship building yeah abby you 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 seem to be the uh the queen of no here on the podcast and <laughs> how did you get good at it um i was one of five kids so i grew up hearing it a lot and then when i was a bartender i worked in restaurants for several years when i was a bartender for some reason i was just the only one who was willing to say no um it can get messy quick and i i guess i just had the chops to walk up to people and take a drink away and tell them they could cry but they weren't getting any more so that was a, if you want to get really good at saying no and standing up for yourself, doing it from behind a bar is a pretty good place to do it. Dan, how about you? Suggestions for getting stronger with this uh, two-letter word we know is no. I mean, I alluded to it uh, like, a little bit earlier. Like, If you say yes all the time and you find yourself further and further from your wheelhouse, further and further from your skill set, what you're good at, People are going to keep judging you based on that work. And if you keep saying yes to things that you just aren't good at, but just nobody else will do or nobody else wants to, well, you're still going to get judged on that work. It's not like you get an exception because like, oh, well, that person didn't want to, or that person isn't good at it, but they stepped in and they did it. Like, nope, you don't get that exception. That doesn't happen in the workplace. People go, oh, yeah, Daniel did some work last month. Uh, he put together a a video presentation it just really wasn't that sharp like that's that's what people will talk about not the well daniel doesn't really do this it's not really in his wheelhouse but he said yes and he took one for the team like i'm sure that conversation will happen some places but not every place and then the thing you made the, the material that's out there that has your name on it they don't know that you said no and then like basically said like oh i'll just go the extra mile and i'll do this they just said man why did Daniel decide to do this? Like, what is this Daniel guy doing? This looks like hot garbage. Yeah, no, I, I, those are all really great things. As we try to wrap up our discussion on no, the one thing that I would add is not every question or, you know, demand, so to speak, requires an instant answer. So, Sometimes the best answer is, I'll get back to you. Hey, I need this from you, and I uh, can you help me out? Let me get back to you is a really great way to build up what you need in order to say no effectively. Like Maybe you need to really take a look at what the resources are. Maybe you need to detach and go talk to someone about the request. Or if you have a supportive boss, Go to that person and say, I got a request and I, it doesn't pass the sniff test and I want to make sure we're aligned on uh, the answer before I give it. That way you get two-person accountability, right? So you can go back to the requester and say, hey, based on business needs and what we're doing, we can't accomplish this for you right now. And it also puts you in a position to actually find uh, an alternative to the request. For me, it's always like, hey, I don't have the bandwidth or the resources to do this for you right now. Do you have some money? Because if you got some money, I know some people that do really good work that I can hand off to you. Or can this request be postponed to a different time? But I love the do you have any money question. People don't expect that. And what I have found is that there are a lot of people that make requests that do have a discretionary budget. So they've got some money. So if the request is an import, is important to them enough to them at that moment, having a solution from third party is a great way for them to get what they need and for me to say no at the same time. So it's a it's a win 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 all the way around. So yeah, Joe, thanks for uh, emailing us um, and uh, for challenging us to uh, talk about that uh, two letter word. And uh, please email us again. Folks, if you would like to email us and be part of a discussion, 
you can do so by emailing learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Once again, learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Any final thoughts you want to pick up, either of you? No. (laughs) (laughs) I I couldn't say it any better, so no. That's perfect. Thank you, Abby. Let's, uh, Let's go ahead and dive into the topic of the week. Earlier this week, I got a flyer from the Association of Training and Development uh, around a new publication uh, called Learning Science for Instructional Designers. And it's a really great publication written by Clark and Quinn. And in the prologue, they had an example of questions. And I was so intrigued by it because I got to be honest, like writing good questions is hard. Like, everyone's like, oh, writing questions is easy. Well, if writing questions was an easy part of what we do, it's an essential part of what we do. Like, that's important. But if it was an easy part of what we do, we wouldn't have examples like this. And what I'm going to give you comes from this publication, and it's a real online learning question. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Here I was stunned with excitement. <laughs> Here's an actual e-learning question. Here we go. The plunger in the pump was broken. A plunger is a A, dolphin, B, pump part, C, brown car. Dolphin, right? That's a tough one. It is. Now, if I were an alien from another planet, I could read that question and get 100%. So if my goal was to write baloney questions that have no real value and get 100% on my quiz, then we have succeeded with this question. But I got to ask both of you, like, what's the purpose of this question? A checkbox. Somebody somewhere said it's got to have a question. And so somewhere, somehow, some instructional designer said, and they said, okay, fine. Uh, a plunger in the pump was broken. Uh, okay, there's my situation. I wrote a scenario question. Here you go. And they checked that box, and somebody who reviewed it said, huh, okay, I mean, it's a question. We have the question. So they checked their box, and then before you knew it, boom, here are Scott, Abby, and Daniel to make fun of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that somebody thought they were being funny or clever, uh, but par- a big part of me is afraid that that's probably not the case. And to Dan's point, at no point in the process did somebody step up and go, hey, it might not be my role to write this, but is this good? Because I don't think it's good. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. As a, as a learner, like, my inclination to be mischievous, to answer, like, dolphin is like, it's almost like a bet. It's a dare. Oh, like, yeah. I dare yep. you. I dare you to answer this wrong. Like, all right, cool. You know what? I've done taking the rest of this test. I can't say the quality of questions on the rest of this test. This is the only one we have in front of us. But I feel like if they match this, I've probably done all right enough that I can give up a question. <laughs> yeah. Or on the flip side, do I mean nothing to you? Like, you put zero effort into this? Obviously, I don't matter. This doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I am really afraid, however, that your third inclination is right. It's people just don't know any better. So we're going to pencil up a question. And unfortunately, we don't achieve the outcome. So Clark talks in the book, I'm going to read verbatim, like, when we design learning experiences, we want to achieve an outcome. And if we don't do it according to learning science, we waste our stakeholders' resources, resources and our leaders' time. Ooh, powerful stuff. Great book. I'm going to have to go get it and and read it. So tonight, I thought it would be really great to talk a little bit about questioning, especially writing questions, right? And um, spend some time talking a little bit about what makes up a good question and then some time talking about like, hey, what are some things that we should avoid? But, you know, in order to ground it from a what's in it for me, I, I think that questions kind of matters. So, 
you know, Abby, why, why do you feel like good questions matter? I think it's a chance for people to build some confidence, to show themselves that they've learned something, uh, to help them decide if they do have knowledge gaps. I mean, if it's written fairly and uh, it's written to really help the learner, those are the kinds of outcomes I would hope they'd have. I mean, a good question is part of the training. That's another learning moment. More than just a simple check, like, did the knowledge transfer? Are you, do, do you, can you remember the facts as I gave them to you? Or do you understand? Or can you apply this? A good question is, is a continuation. I'm going to present you with a scenario that maybe I didn't have time to present you with in the, in the course. I'm going to ask you to synthesize upon that. Like, there's all kinds of great stuff that you can do with questions. And I don't understand why you would waste them on bad questions. Yeah, it really is a reflection of the strength of your content. I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got a wimpy quiz, by the way, I would argue that quizzes are a really good thing, um, but they've kind of have this bad connotation in our circle of influence, right? Like, oh, quiz, bad. Oh, no, I've got a quiz. You go to school. Pop quiz, everybody. Oh, no, quizzes are bad. Quizzes are not bad. They, they really are a reflection of the strength of your content and how you delivered that content and whether or not your learners are getting it. Yeah, it makes me, sorry to jump in, but, and Dan, not to rail on you, but the story you shared about your first uh, time leading a training in that class did so poorly that it showed you like, oh, oh, this gap is with me. This is, yeah, <laughs> that's important too. And, and to Scott's point about, you know, it really shows you whether or not you're, you're leading well and your content's working too. Yeah. And, you know, everybody at the end of the day, I believe we all are aligned, all of us, no matter what we're doing, we all have the same goals. Like we want to ensure that our audience actually met the objectives of the learning that we created and are going to be better moving forward. And knowledge retrieval or quizzes are an important tool that we get to use to actually measure that. Otherwise, you hey, great training. How do I know it was great? Well, so I'm going to need a knowledge retrieval device. Well, one of the most effective ones that we have is, is a quiz. So writing good questions on a quiz is really, really important. And in a really important part of your overall content development. And there was a point in time in my career where I really, when I was writing objectives for whatever I was working on, we would spend some time thinking about what we wanted to quiz our audience on as well, what we wanted to test on as well, because it would ensure that the content that we delivered would meet those expectations within the quiz. All right, so we know that questions matter, right? So let's, uh, let's segue a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about some um, good question techniques, right? So what are some things that, that you do when you're thinking about writing your questions? that are really beneficial as far as the overall effectiveness and impact that we're going to gain from your knowledge retrieval? I think for me, the, the thing I, I think about is, and I've shared this with you guys, I am not a great student, but I am an excellent test taker. Like the psychology of multiple choice tests, short answer tests, all that kind of stuff. Like, I love tests. Like anytime I was in a class and I was not doing great, I was like, I just got to make it to the test and I'll be fine. Because a lot of times people write tests and they, they hate to write tests. People don't like to write quizzes and tests. We talked about this before. It's the reason why we're talking about it now. Uh, but, and because of that, they get lazy. They fall into patterns. They fall into habits. They write with little psychological tricks that you can look at and be like, okay, cool. Uh, I have, I don't want to, like, this sounds so pedantic, but, like, my SAT score is way higher than it has any right to be. And it goes down to easy test questions and test-taking psychology. And so whenever I'm writing questions, I'm thinking to myself, all right, cool, how do I write good questions that don't fall into the standard mode of if I just cho choose C, or if I just look for the longest answer, or if I just look for the one that says all of the above, I'll be fine. Yeah, I think writing questions that um, aren't just regurgitations of content that are a good demonstration of understanding. So putting concepts together and building on them. Um, and I think that there are a lot of 
elements to that that we can kind of dive into about you know how you actually write them and how you create the the answers yeah dan you talked a little bit about this idea of all of the above which i hate (laughs) because it's such a gimme i learned that all of the above was the correct answer when i was like nine right Anytime and every time I see all the above, like 99% of the time, it's right. And what happens to me as a learner when I see that answer, do I pay any attention to the question at all? No. So I'll I'll window into Daniel's psychology. Not anymore. But previously, as somebody who was writing content, I guarantee you if I wrote a question that said all of the above, it was not the answer just because I knew that everybody else was saying all the above was the answer. And so when I would write questions, I'd be like, nope, if I put all of the above in there, it is not the answer. Damn it's the mean tr- guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, you know, you're the jerk, Dan. No Dan I mean, Dan, everybody fails Dan your instructional That's designer. <laughs> the old Dan instructional designer was not a nice guy. He was a jerk. Um, <laughs> But, like, again, and that goes back to trick questions and, like, just yeah. other awful question writing thing. Like, oh, I chose that because I knew that would be throw people off the game. So, first off, I'm writing crappy questions to begin with right there. Uh, even if my intent was to prevent writing crappy questions. But, yeah, no. Like, the whole, like, oh, all the above? Well, that's it. Uh, yeah. No, I hate that. I'm, I'm there with you. I also hate B and C are correct. Because that gets confusing. And one of the things we talked about, too, like we have to consider your audience and you have to consider your learner and the objective of a good quiz. Like a good quiz, again, is a reflection of the content. So there shouldn't be any trick questions. It really should be a reflection of, did you understand what I wanted you to understand, right? And therefore, having um, a good stem, uh, which is the main part of the question, that should be very clear and uh, and easy to understand is a great place to start. Now, Daniel, you and I talked a little bit about, you know, scenario-based questions versus regular-based questions. Do you want to expand a little bit on that? Because I, I love where, how you were thinking about that. Yeah. So, like, whenever, like, I'm looking to write, like, good, solid questions, there's a couple things you want to test for. You want to test for understanding, remembering, or application. Testing and quizzing excels at testing for application and remembering. Here's some facts. Can you state these facts back to me? Here's a scenario where you would use this knowledge scenario. How would you use this knowledge to complete this scenario? If you can go a step further and hit that understanding key, like that's where it's at. If you can write a test that hits all three of those and make a good test you're solid like that's it like those three pillars are going to carry you 90 percent of the way all the time yeah and i think it's a really good judge of practical application so if my objective is for the learner to actually do something different when they're done no better way to do that than to provide them with the scenario that i want and create a quiz question around that with you know, with the right answer around the behavior that I'm looking for and plausible alternatives. We'll get into alternatives in a minute, but that's awesome. And and if we can write great scenario questions that are based on the behaviors that we're looking for, we're going to feel really comfortable and good that our audience should get the expectations around those behaviors and what they should be doing. Of course, we have to follow up with good coaching, um, saying thanks again to Jill Seeley and, and her conversation from last week. But it's a really great place to start. Yeah, and that and that goes right back to building that confidence. If if you don't give them a chance to actually prove to you and prove to themselves that they can take that knowledge you've given them through the training and actually do something with it, um, you're really missing a big opportunity. Circling back to all of the above and how much I hate it, I, I learned a while ago, and this this is a go to for me. I I love. If I have a system, and most systems will allow for this, like almost every system will allow for choose all that apply. I love, love, love questions that allow me to do choose all that apply. For me, it's a real indicator as to whether or not my audience got what I wanted. Like, did they understand what I was trying to teach them? And I love, and I don't believe it's a trick, 
but I love having every answer being being chosen. So choose all the apply, and all four of the answers are right. And it really makes my learner think because it's not a normal quiz question that they're used to. Like they're not used to checking all the boxes. They're used to the dummy, all that, all the above. And because it's not there, that safety net isn't there. I find that my audience does a double check and go, uh, well, one of these has to not be right, which is still a really great moment of learning, right? So it's a, it's a moment where we could provide, um, a failure and people can learn from that and retake the quiz if necessary and, and learn. And I just, I love choose all that apply. What do you guys, how do you guys feel about that? So we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, but like I'm the same boat. I think choose all that apply or multiple select is a fantastic way of testing. Like, remembering and a fantastic way it can be a fantastic way of testing and understanding like hey i'm going to give you a lot of options do you understand what we've talked about well enough to sort through the bad and pick out the good uh my my big concern my worry is that uh and you brought it up like sometimes it's okay to select all but like i think that gets us dangerously close to to like all of the above let me ask you this would you feel the same way about a quiz select all that apply where none of them applied I've never had a quiz where select all that apply, none of them apply. I got. How do you do that, Dan? I mean, you just give all bad options. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, like, like I said, well, like one has to be the correct option. My LMS system is going to require me to do so, right? No. Okay. See, so this you're... is why you're not good at saying no, Scott. Sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> I didn't say I wasn't good at saying no. I never said that. <laughs> Sorry, I saw it. You have it. to I answer something, Dan. <laughs> right? I mean, so in that case, continuing on this theoretical question quest, would you include on a quiz none are correct or none none applicable on a quiz where you knew that many were applicable? I feel that none of the above is a legitimate answer. Because I still have to think about it. All of the above is a is a no brainer pencil whip answer. I I'm just gonna check it. None of the above. I feel as I'm putting my learner hat on. I feel I still have to go and check these questions because there's a better than average chance that one of the answers actually might be true, which would make none of the above false. Correct? Yeah. So I have to do that. I'm totally cool with none of the above. You know, I, I will say I love this topic for this week. When I am reviewing a course before it goes out the door, the very first thing I do is I do a bomber run through the course and get to the quiz section as fast as I can. And if I can pass the course without reading it, I usually ask, like, hey, can we, can we work on these questions? Can we go back through? Like, hey, I was able to go through here and just click, 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 and, and I got a passing score. So why 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 would... A learner not do the same why would i ask somebody in our company to just not do this do the same they're gonna they're gonna click on these and see the right answers anyway right and usually it's a uh no um well i, I can go back through and it's like well yeah like let's go back through but it's uh, we've circled back at this but like questions matter and quizzes are so important and we all want to get through and learning especially a big long one onboarding oh my goodness what's another one the safety stuff like that you got to go through like i've been through so many of those can i just get to the quiz and like nine times out of ten i think i can pass it without learning anything and most of those questions are pretty ding dang easy um although i will say that i have a part-time job and and i had to do some safety training that i couldn't pencil whip the quiz and I was really excited about that. Like, not excited that I had to learn more safety stuff. But I was really excited about their course design. It was awesome. Like, oh, this is legitimately not easy. And I thought that that was great. Because I think that sometimes in, in our world that we, especially with stuff that we know that people, that we have to, compliance training, right? We, we have to, people have to get through this. That 
we pencil with design and compliance training too. In, my, in many respects, compliance training is the most difficult training that anybody can design because you have to make it engaging and you have to, you know, check the boxes from whatever that compliance is. And we got to find a way to make it not easy, right? It should be challenging to a certain extent because that's where real learning comes in. And then that's why compliance training is so important. So anyway, let me I ask digress. you this. Yeah. Uh, let me let me devil's advocate it for a minute. So in places where you have like compliance training or or just any like training, you usually have expectations, like passing expectations, like this quiz, this this course is a success if X percentage passes. Same thing in the compliance field, like human resources, like like that's part of their or at least could be part of one of their metrics. Like, hey, how many people are taking your courses and are able to get through it? So how do you balance you have four hours to build this quiz versus making questions and quizzing that is solid and applicable, but that people can still get through and pass because someone's going to look at you if 60% of everybody who takes your course fails. Hopefully it's not 60%, but if they trip that, like, like, huh, like, Hey, this isn't working. People are taking it. And well, I've seen a lot of people try and get um, clever with design instead of really buckle down on content. Um, and so that that's always where I say, like, let's not worry about how fun the matching game is or how in- engaging the sorting game is. Let's make sure that what we're trying to accomplish is coming through. And if that means a bunch of multiple choice questions instead of like using all of these new fun toys on our LMS design tool, let's. Let's focus on that. Uh, and that can be tough to keep your team engaged because those are the kinds of pieces people sometimes love to engage with. So that, that's a different kind of challenge. Yeah, totally agree. My response to the everybody's got to get 70% or in a compliance training, everybody's got to pass. So the easy way out on that, Daniel, is you just retake the quiz till you get a passing score, which will show up in your LMS, right? And that's still going to be part of your metrics. But at least we can check the box and say everybody understands what's going on, in which case I have a little more leeway on ensuring that I've got decent questions. And, and oh, by the way, I think there, there's a difference between good questions and bad questions. Like if the question is bad and that's why people are not moving on, then we can identify that. And that's part of, you know, met, taking a look at your data around the questions. I, I did that this week. We've got some quizzes that we give to third-party people and, oh, we need to update these. Fantastic. Can I get the data on the questions people are struggling with? Yeah, here it is. Great. We're keeping these. I'm going to examine whether or not they're decent questions, but we're going to keep these questions and keep them out there because obviously there's a gap and maybe there's an opportunity to change the question. So that that's my, that's my gimme answer on, on both. Like, you know, let's, let, let's ensure that we meet the expectations from the course objectives. In your example, everybody's got to pass, right? Then let's continue to, and this is a great practice, let's continue to take a look at the metrics. And if our metrics are showing us that people are having a hard time getting through stuff, it could very well be two things are wrong. Either A, the content doesn't support the question, or B, the question is bad, which, both of which can be updated easily. If you're not doing that, you're doing a disservice from your own sake, because there's an opportunity, a real opportunity for you to learn in those moments, which I think is really great. You know, I think something Abby said just a little bit ago, where it's like, hey, let's hit back to like, buckle down, get some multiple choice, instead of like, focusing in on what's fun and flashy in the moment. It's oftentimes, designers get caught up in designing for them, rather than like, for what the learner needs, especially if you've got a high turnover industry where you're going to have a lot of learners coming through and you're like, Oh man, I just don't want to write another multiple choice. Oh, I knew I'll, I'll do it. I'll do a drag and drop. I'll do a hotspot. I'll do something fun and exciting, which is fun and exciting for you and probably fun and exciting for like your org and your leaders. Uh, but a lot of times I think like multiple select multiple choice is just the way to go because it's a standby. People know what to expect. They know how it works. You're not having to like build me a slide explaining how to do the quiz that's coming up right after this. I I, I think that's that's 
a really, really good call out. Well, you yeah. can throw all of those examples that you have within the content itself. And quite frankly, that's a really great thing to do. So chunk out your content and put some, put some knowledge retrieval in the content itself, right? A quiz after the chunk of information that could be hotspots and, you know, matching and all those exercises are, are fantastic and you should totally do those things. But when it comes to, hey, we're going to go ahead and measure whether or not you got it, like mul multiple choice, multiple, multiple select is the way to go. Yeah. And to, and to your point about when you go ask for that data, if you have questions that are written nine different ways and you have all different kinds of activities, you're going to have more questions to answer than just, is this written correctly? You're going to go, is it written correctly or is it the design that's making it? people struggle or is it some combination like you're just adding a whole layer of complexity that is going to make your job harder yeah if we could spend a few minutes here talking about you've got the right answer but you got your alternatives and quite frankly the alternatives is really what separates people that can write good questions from people that struggle um, because that's where the rubber hits the road, in my humble opinion. Like a really great question has alternative answers that are clear. Uh, they actually make sense instead of what was the the one that we had before <laughs> with the the plunger that it was a dolphin. <laughs> like that's not plausible at all. Like a a, a plunger. Well, if I didn't know what a plunger was, maybe it'd be plausible. But in the context of the question itself, it's a terrible question all the way around. It's it's not plausible, and and you know they need to be mutually exclusive of one another as well. So, if I have an answer that has a potential two answers, right? Then that choose all that apply is really important. But under no circumstances should I have both answers be in there, and one of them is right and the other one is not, because that's just wrong. Right, it's just wrong on 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 every level, and and you can lose a lot of cred with your learners if you do that. Uh, that's that's a good way to get some hate mail. I think you have if you're you have to have an objective with each question. So I don't understand how you can have a clear objective with an unclear like response. So I don't know who it's serving. I don't know how it helps you or the learner if you're doing trickery or just lazy. Uh, I think. You have to have clear answers, in my opinion. Dan, I know you have a, a love-hate relationship with true-false questions, so I'm going to give you the floor here for a minute to talk a little bit about true-false questions. Yeah, no, I don't think it's like a love-hate. It's just a hate. Um, <laughs> uh, any question where you have a 50% chance of like guessing the right answer, um, I mean, why, why did you write the question? Why just, just take that screen and be like, hey, here's a quick fact I'd like to double-check with you. And then move on. I'm insulting the learner. I'm wasting my time. Like, wh why would I do a true-false? When there are so many better ways to test and verify knowledge transfer, like, select multiple select. Maybe I'm going to put those two answers, and I'm going to add two other answers. And then I'm going to say, hey, choose all that apply. It's only one. Like, why why waste time with the true false? I feel like true false is like the ultimate box checking question. Somebody said I need to put a quiz in here. I've got 25 minutes until this is due. Awesome. You're about to get 20 multiple uh, 20 true false questions. Yeah, and when you go back and look at your data and you're trying to understand how many people understood this or didn't, you don't know how many people understood it. You have an idea of how many people guessed one or the other, which is not the same. I avoid them like the plague generally speaking, because I've been doing this for a while and I just feel like it's the lazy way out. It, it really, to me, is a sign of laziness. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have a purpose, right? If I just really, really want to reinforce the one thing, and maybe there's not a lot of alternatives to what I want to check, right? So maybe there's not that delineation between, you know, what a plunger is and what a dolphin is. Like, I really just want to test that like true false may be that way but i also have to check my gut around well then what's the value of the of the question what objective is it really trying to solve if i don't have any other way 
to test my people than through true false. But I'm not going to hate on people that do it. I'm just going to not exercise it a lot myself. Because it, it is. And, you know, I we get to that point where we coach other people. And a lot of people that uh, are outside of the learning team write questions all the time. Marketing, sales, those, those people write quizzes all the time. And you see true false coming in all the time. And I, I always, always try to like change that true false into a regular question, but there needs to be additional context. And if there's not enough additional context to make a multiple choice out of true false, then there's a really good discussion of what are you really trying to teach here? And I've had those conversations. And sometimes it's a non-negotiable. It's like, nope, this is what I'm trying to teach and I just want to make sure they know it. Okay. Can I add another question in so that I don't feel like uh, I've wimped out? I mean, at that point, just add a, I have read the above and agree to it box. <laughs> oh, we do that all the time. Yeah, no, I get that. Hey, Scott, can we like throw down a challenge to our listeners? If they have a good reason to use true false, can they email it to us? They certainly can. Um, that is a fantastic challenge. If you've got a great example as to why true and false questions are awesome, you can email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com and we'll be sure to read them aloud and uh, have a further discussion on it. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to eat crow on this one. But... <laughs> I don't think you're gonna, but I think it's a great idea. Let's go ahead and start to wrap up uh, this whole question discussion. Any final thoughts around good questions, bad questions, things we should be doing, things we shouldn't be doing? We'll start with you, Abby. I think it would be really cool. We have so much new cool tech um, available to learning services groups. And um, I would love personally to start using it more to its potential to really be designed around learners. So I would love if, if I wrote a test or a quiz, if you answered B, it determined what answer or what question you got next. And if you chose A, it said, maybe we need to give you a different question. Uh, you either got it or didn't, and we want to help you along and, and do a more uh, intelligent quiz. So that would be like my dream. That's, that's what I want to start seeing in LMS world. Well, the AI does exist. So we know that the AI for um, building questions based on answers exists. And wow, that, that takes some very... Um, specific strategic planning on our part on that journey, journey that the learner is going to go within your quiz. Uh, that's awesome. And I hope that you can write one of those. And I, I want to see it when you're done because it'll be wicked cool. So that's great. <laughs> I'm going to try. Yeah, I'll, don't try. Do. Dan. <laughs> uh, you know, I think this is one of those things that like, like, Good instructional design, good question design all boils down to mindful design. If you're writing this question, ask yourself, does this question help my learner? And if the answer is no, throw it away and write another one. And if the only answer is, yeah, it helps them pass, then that's not a good question. Like, you get extra training time in the form of quiz, quizzes and tests. Use it, pretend like it's training. You could, we're always like, oh man, I wish we had more time. I wish we had more time. I wish we had more time. And then we throw away these opportunities. Use them. Help your learners. Help yourself. Make useful questions. Awesome. You know, the last thing I would add on to this, and I'm surprised we didn't talk about it. We should have talked about it. But all knowledge retrieval needs to be based on content that's within your course. Yeah, and I, yes. they missed people that. Who <laughs> write questions based on, well, they should know this. I've done it early in my career. I'm like, well, they should know this. And I wrote the question. My boss pulled me aside and went, where's the content that supports this question? Well, they should know it. And um, I, I got a slap on the hand and I never did it again. So we're not here to trick anybody. We're here to ensure that we've done our job. So good Good quizzes are, again, a, uh, a reflection of the good job we did in content. So make sure your content is there so we're not tricking people. And don't assume that people should, well, they should know this. It's common knowledge because it's not, right? So we, we, 
keep your audience in mind while you're putting your content together and make sure you've got strong retention questions on the end and you'll always do well. And that's our topic for the week. Writing great questions. What a great topic. I, I really enjoyed it. I probably could have talked for an hour uh, about um, uh, the validity of true-false questions with you, Dan. <laughs> Instead, we're going to go ahead and quickly move on to our Leadership Minute. Time for Coach Shooty's Leadership Minute. Hey, this week we're going to be talking about delegation because you know what? You can't control everything. Um, there's a quote in a very popular book that you cannot serve two masters. And those people who try to control everything and try to be on top of everything fail miserably. If you got a team, you have an opportunity to provide growth for that team every time you're asked to do something. So take a look at uh, opportunities for growth uh, and use what my good friend Jocko Willink describes as decentralized command and spread out the things that you need to do with people you trust, build strong relationships, and get more work done. So there it is. Don't be a work hog. Delegate that stuff. And that's our Leadership Minute. Okay, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Um, Dan, do you want to talk to our audience just a little bit of how they can connect and participate with us? Yes, absolutely. Guys, you heard in the middle of the podcast, if you've got a better reason to use true-false questions, you can tell us by emailing us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook at Learning Nerds. Join in on the discussion and all the fun stuff and swag we got there. Lastly, if you're on Instagram, we're Fab Learning Nerds. Yeah, speaking of, of swag, I got you uh, your very own Dan the Man t-shirt. I know. It's fantastic. It's super nice. Uh, what did your wife say when you got the Dan the Man t-shirt? Uh, I held it up, and she was like, oh, oh, that looks nice. And I was like, well, yeah, of course it looks nice. What were you expecting? She was like, ah, it looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I feel great about that answer or not. Uh, nice. Oh, it's nice. That's nice. No, I was no. expecting, what the hell is that? <laughs> hey, that's going to be it for us tonight, folks. Uh like and subscribe our podcast like our facebook page subscribe to the podcast on itunes stitcher wherever you hear the fabulous learning nerds we'll be back again next week to talk about some great stuff we might even have a special guest with that i'm scott i'm dan i'm abby and we're your fabulous learning nerds and we are out thanks for listening to the fabulous learning nerds You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're you're thinking of giving it a try, If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash BE.